We are Healing Out Loud. A podcast and virtual practice space exploring loud diaspora storytelling, healing, and tools for sustainability. A space where we are no longer attached to our trauma, but rather a place where we grow, we love, we move through courage and bravery and trace our roots back to resilience. And even before that, to our softness, our sensitivity, and our sabai-sabai vibes. We are a community of storytellers, explorers, writers, creators with lineage connected to the motherland of Laos. 1.5, second, third generation all over the globe. Our community is vibrant and is so much more than our international trauma. In loving essence, we deserve a space for rest, for rejuvenation, purpose, and inspiration. It is our time to evolve, to push the envelope on what it means to be a child of the Lao and greater Southeast Asian diaspora. We are healing out loud. Sabaydi and hello, Pinong family. Welcome back to another episode of Healing Out Loud. It's your girl, Rita P. And I just want to give y'all heads up that this episode with my little brother, Joseph Petmisai, also known as Jojo in my world, was recorded earlier this year in April 2021. And This was also the first time I saw my family in person since the pandemic started. So it's a really special episode and I hope y'all are ready for some more nurturing nuggets of Lao wisdom and LOLs from my family to yours. So let's go ahead and dive in. Hi, this is Rita P coming at you from North Carolina And today on Healing Out Loud podcast COVID series, I have my baby brother, Joseph Pemisai, here with me and interviewing you, coming at you from North Carolina. And Joseph, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the whole Healing Out Loud entire community. Hello, everyone. My name is Joseph Petmixay. A lot of people do know me as Rita's little brother because she is a celebrity everywhere she goes. But I'm 17 years old, 13 years apart from Rita. And yeah, I'm ready. I'm excited to be on this podcast. 13 years? I'm only 12 years older than you. Dang, you aging me already? <laughs> Maybe you just uh, look a little older. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> I just look a little older. You round up. Well, you look a little taller, okay? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> well, Joseph, I'm very excited to have you on. You know, I had to, you know, uh, interview you when you're of age. And I believe you're of age now. You know, you can form thoughts. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> Rather than me holding you in my arms. And, you know, I just had a, you know, I had a little flashback there. <laughs> and it's wild because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you've grown so much. And I'm just so proud of all your accomplishments, things that you've been able to do. I think you're really trying to outdo me and David, but that's okay. That's the plan. <laughs> that's the plan. Um, so I... You know, I brought you on because I, I really wanted to hear your perspective um, as somebody who 
is part of the Gen Z uh, generation, as well as, uh, you know, our families from the South, Lao from the South. There's not a lot of narrative that comes from being Lao from the South. So especially as a youth uh, growing up in, in an environment, which is pretty only white, you know, and again, I'm spinning all this from my own experiences, but I wanted to bring you on to for you to share your raw experiences of what is it really like to grow up in these intersections on top of that, we have COVID-19 happening all at the same time, as well as uh, the anti-Asian sentiments that are going on ever since Trump uh, called the COVID-19 the Chinese virus, the Kung flu virus. And so I wanted to start off and just ask you, you know, when COVID-19 took place about a year ago, right? I was wondering what were some of the initial memories that you had when you first heard about it and how did, how did it really impact you as somebody uh, growing up here in North Carolina? Well, it was really shocking because when COVID-19 first started out, we had an announcement in the school saying that we'd be out of school for two weeks and everyone was excited. And little did we know that two weeks would turn into <laughs> um, an entire year and then bleeding into the next year. So it's been, it's been, uh, really, really interesting because I've had a lot of time to reflect being home all the time, staying indoors, of course, socially distancing from all my friends. I've had a lot of time to reflect on my own values and who I am as a person. And because when you're surrounded by, you know, students and your peers all the time, you don't, you lose sight of like, who you really are, like on, on the inside and having all that alone time, especially as a Lao American, um, it really allowed me to reflect on who I was and get a closer look and more detailed look on like what my values were and reassess where I was at life. Oh, great. Sounds like you had an identity crisis. Uh, uh, well, yeah, you, you had a little um, like a premature like a crisis uh, well, yeah i am crisis. yeah i'm a junior in high school so i'm still trying to figure everything out and figure out who i am still young but i'm getting there slowly <laughs> you know how to bring that up <laughs> <laughs> yep. we talk about this all the time I, i'm so glad that you're open to talking about it on my podcast now um so i i love that you brought up just the struggle or even challenges of identifying even as a Lao American in North Carolina as a high schooler. Can you help me understand? Cause again, you know, I'm 12 years older than you. It was a different time, but not really a different time. Um, as we grew, we're growing up in the same environment. So can you help me understand a little bit more about the environment where you attend school? Like who are the people? What do they look like? Do they look like you? Yeah. Let's start there. Yeah. Yeah. So growing up, I went to a predominantly white elementary and middle school or junior high, depending on where you're from. And the high school that I go out and go to right now, um, I believe I'm actually the only Asian at the school out of like 500, 600 students. So I haven't really faced any racial discrimination or targeting since um, entering high school because I feel like a lot of people um, at that age have matured. But my elementary school and middle school years, those were the tough years where I had to really figure out who I was and stand up for myself. 
But um, in high school, it's been uh, it's been interesting being surrounded by people that don't look like you. You kind of have to assimilate to the culture in order to survive and to thrive. And it's not like I'm, you know, it's not like I want to act like everyone else around me, but I feel like in a way I subconsciously have to in order to um, succeed and thrive in that environment. And being, um, you know, the only Asian American (laughs) in the entire school, it's uh, in a way um, you, you can either look at it as a negative or a positive. And in a way I look at it in the positive spectrum of how you know, I'm the only Asian, I, I look at it as I, I have the opportunity to stand out in the crowd. I have the opportunity to represent our culture and be a model minority. And so I think it has its perks and it has its challenges. But um, in the end, um, I'm glad that I am in the environment I'm in. I'm very blessed to be able to, you know, take the opportunity that I'm, that I'm given. Okay, I see you. That positive <laughs> reframe. Okay, who taught you that? Definitely Rita. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, yes, I'll take a credit. <laughs> <laughs> and um, wow, so you said a lot there, you know, in terms of assimilation, model minority, and you know, there's a lot of nuance I want to dive in and maybe we won't get to it in its entirety in this podcast episode. But I wanted to ask you how has um being around, you know, older siblings for one has influenced the way that you think and the way that you navigate these spaces. And two, if you can speak about how possibly being Gen Z and your access to social media also comes um, into light. How does that play along with the dynamics of what you know in the political sphere? Um, so one, how has being the youngest sibling out of four uh, influenced the way that you navigate yourself in this environment? And two, social media, how does that play? Yeah, yeah. So being the youngest sibling has granted me a lot of um, a lot of resources in terms of knowledge. So not saying that you guys are, you know, (laughs) make a lot of mistakes, but it is good to learn from uh, my siblings past mistakes and being able to ask you guys questions about what you guys in certain situations has helped me along my journey throughout life as well. Being able to just go to you guys because you guys didn't have older people to look up to. And I feel that I'm very fortunate that I have you, David, and Dario to kind of look up to and look up to as mentors. And I also feel like that comes with a lot of pressure as well, because me being the youngest sibling, I'm said by my parents destined to be the best of the best. But <laughs> No pressure. No, no pressure. pressure. But, <laughs> but you better buy us a house, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> You better no be an engineer. You better no make guarantees. six figures. That's all I'm saying. No guarantees, but <laughs> uh, maybe with uh, the guidance and knowledge that you guys grant me, I can turn that pressure into confidence and um, pursue the goals that I can and want to pursue. And I think having you guys um, supporting me helps a lot, and I'm very grateful for that. And social media has uh, really impacted. Um, the way people in general um, view politics. And I think Gen Z, not just politics in general, but 
um, kind of like the social sphere. Gen Z is able to freely express their opinions on social media with a single click of a button. You know, you don't have to have a huge social media presence in order to be heard nowadays. And I personally don't post a lot of my political views on Instagram or social media in general because I like to um, maintain neutral and kind of like watch um, between both sides. I don't pick sides. Mm. I I like to um, evaluate both sides of the spectrum. And then, you know, there's no really right or wrong answer. It's all, it's all objective and it's all how you perceive it. So uh, social media, uh, I'm still... I'm one of those people that grew up, you know, having a cell phone since middle school. I am still trying to use social media less as everyone is, uh, trying to stay off my phone, but it's tough sometimes because these, these apps that, um, social media companies are designing are just designed to get you hooked. But I feel like the more social media presence that you have, the more you're able to express your opinions. So it's easier with social media. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for being so honest with where you're at in terms of, you know, the political spectrum. I imagine that it's a push and pull, like a tug, um, because of the environment you're in. It's also, I would say, different than where I'm at right now in L.A. Um, and I'm not saying that I want to demonize the South because the South has a lot of great progressive work that's happened here. But where we're at, you know, a small town, less than 3,000 people. Uh, I think it's important to acknowledge maybe what are the political views? What are some of the dominant views in your school, in your peer group? And maybe how that can kind of play with how you view things or have to uh, assimilate or have to be a part in order to feel maybe a sense of belonging i wonder if there's anything that has to do with that like just the the culture itself and how it affects how you're able to like really cave in uh, you know Mm -hmm. on the other side yeah yeah so the area that i live in and go to school in is um predominantly generally right wing and i find i find myself in the middle because a lot of my friends are um have pretty conservative ideologies and that doesn't make me view them less as less of friends it's um i try not to let political beliefs um get in the way of like relationships and friendships because it's important to realize the difference and um separate the two but yeah having having a different side of the spectrum like you know you're living in los angeles and my parents have generally supportive of uh, left-wing policy, left-wing views. There's a lot of information to take in. And like I said before, I don't choose sides. I, I like to observe and view um, from the sidelines and see where my values align with certain beliefs. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what would you say generally Gen Z? Like if you would to categorize Gen Z on the political spectrum. And as you are on social media to the extent that you're on, not saying that it is, you know, the right way to think or just what your observations have been on what social media has presented with you on top of growing up and having friends 
that are more right wing or conservative politics, whatever you kind of like what patterns or what ideologies have been the kind of like the most dominant, like in the spectrum of Gen Z? Well, I think it really just depends on who you're talking to and what area you're in, because there's a lot of Gen Z um, people that believe all, all different types of, um, that have all different types of beliefs. So at my school, there are like, there are students that post a lot about right wing policy, left wing policy. And there's, it really just depends on like who you're talking to and what area you're in. Yeah. And it seems like there's kind of this polarization and it's interesting because when I grew up, there were some level of politicking, like there were some dialogues, but it wasn't as political as this, as what I'm seeing now. Like Gen Z are some of the most galvanizing members of our community now, you know, talking about just all over the world, organizing for Black Lives Matter, you know, being on the front line and uh, or even organizing using TikTok to organize, um, you know, Trump rallies. <laughs> I, I remember seeing this one post where they faked having like uh, signing up for a rally with Trump and then took up all the seats. And then Trump thought that they were going to have all these different audience members and then no one showed up i remember that <laughs> explicitly that was organized by gen z so i thought that was really monumental <laughs> to say the least um and so you know I, I appreciate you know you're you're able to kind of stay grounded through all this um it's not easy i imagine um being pushed and pulled to different sides um you know just to pivot a little bit in the thick of COVID, I think how our conversation started was how your identity has developed, you know, your reflections on who you are growing up in a predominantly white community and then coming home to, you know, our parents are pretty, uh, how would I describe this? Our parents are pretty gung-ho about us being able to carry on the culture, our legacy as the Pemisai family. Traditional. Yeah, very traditional in that way, but in good ways. Um, so I'm wondering what about your identity stuck out to you the most when you were forced to quarantine, when you were forced to social distance, when you were forced to be home most of the time instead of going to school during COVID? I think one of the biggest points of my identity that that showed up during quarantine was like what I wanted to do with my life because I feel like I was in this moment of deciding now that I'm a junior um, in high school of like what I, what exactly I want to do like in college, how do I also want to represent my family, my culture um, by doing something um, that is successful. And to this day, I still, you know, as of today, um, April 21st, I still have not figured out exactly what I want to do. But during quarantine, I did realize that whatever I do, I want to be successful in that way. I can, um, show that people, you know, I'm a, just a kid who lives in a small town of 2,500 people that, you know, I can do, if I can do it and you can do it, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it's the color of your skin, uh, where you're from, you know, your religion. I want to show that even though like I may be, you know, small, small kid, 
small town of Ramsar, I do want to represent and show people that it's possible to succeed. Okay. The end. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Dang. Okay. Who taught you that? I would say uh, Rita, but... um. <laughs> All right, where's my man? Sorry, <laughs> where's my where's my fly swatter? <laughs> She's paying me extra to say this, <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, um, I, I, I can hear your, your brother David speaking through you. So, is that who you want to give credit to now? Well, you know, well, David has been a huge part of my life and he is um and david is who david is um the oldest brother out of all four of us so he's always been um kind of like a second father figure to me um, he's helped me come to a lot of like, realization in terms of like what i really want to do in the future and how i'm able to get there david has helped me a lot with my current situation and trying to figure out like what i want to do with my life <laughs> 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 All right, Joseph. And, uh, you know, I just want to invite you to even give yourself some, 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 some kindness, some time to also understand that this is exploratory stage. Like always, I mean, think about it. I just turned thirty, and I'm like still exploring. Like, wow. Wait, wait, am I the youngest person that's been on this podcast? I guess so. Oh, wow. wow, how's it wow. feel? It feels uh, interesting. Feels interesting. Interesting, yeah. Dang. I feel Wait, older. You feel older? <laughs> yeah, I feel more professional. Dang. You feel like 10 years older now? <laughs> Don't age yourself, okay? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, you are the youngest, but uh, you've also been prepared. So I would definitely give you credit for all the time and energy you took to reflect on you know, yourself and your awareness of yourself um, to be able to uh, share your wisdom, right, on, on this podcast and your own perspectives on what's happening in the world today, what's happening inside of you. Um, all of that is important um, and doesn't get highlighted as much. Um, and so it's great to hear that you've been, you know, very, very impacted and it in a lot of different ways by the ways that me um, and David and Dario, the older siblings have navigated, right? Out, ourselves outside North Carolina or even Dario, he's still in North Carolina. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, um, with, you know, going back to your own reflections on, you know, maybe some of the challenges. Hmm, how do I frame this? So, just thinking about everything that's, that's going on in the world and how you're coping with it and being the only child at home now with both our parents. How for you have you been able to manage this, let's say, identity crisis? <laughs> <laughs> wow, really put a label on it now, know, making right? me feel bad. <laughs> yeah, well, what Identity crisis, that sounds right? so bad. <laughs> oh, it is a crisis. Sometimes we have it. I mean, I had 
I had one the other day. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just okay. kidding. I'm having a little bit on track. Um, and it's okay to, you know, divert from the track and get back on it um, if that's, that's what fair. you choose. That's fair. So, and it's okay to, to make mistakes. It's okay to kind of um, just dive into a world where you don't know anything and try to learn as much as possible. And you've seen me, David and Dario do our thing. And now it's your time to choose for you. So I understand there could be a lot of pressure going in. There could be a lot of worry, mm-hmm. um, stress, anxiety. Right. Right. All these mental health struggles. Right. So as you don't have access to us as much in terms of physical access or, you know, me, uh, David, Dario, we're all kind of doing our own things. Um, right. we're, we're not able to be as present. How are you able to take whatever you've observed, learned throughout the years and help manage all the stress that maybe is internalized from what's happening in society. So growing up um, as uh, a Lao kid, our parents um, are are Buddhists um, traditionally. And I remember, um, and we still do go to the temple. I remember going to the temple as a little kid all the time. And um, yeah, we still go to the temple occasionally on Sundays. As a kid, I didn't really know a lot about Buddhism. I, I kind of just, you know, followed mom and dad, you know, did whatever. But I feel like as I'm getting older, I start to understand how impactful Buddhism has been for my mom and dad. And I wanted to kind of dive deeper into it and find out why, you know, they believe in Buddhism and how Buddhism has impacted them specifically. During quarantine, um, I took a more philosophical approach and um, decided to read about Buddhism and the different practices. And uh, I came across meditation. During quarantine, I've been meditating a lot and um, just practicing mindful meditation. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot. Something small as like five minutes, five to ten minutes each day has helped me a lot. And just, you know, having that time alone to myself, being able to just think about, you know, anything really, just be mindful and uh, having positive thoughts. Um, they don't always have to be positive, but mindful, mindful meditation has helped me a lot. I was reading a Buddhist scripture and uh, one of the one of the sayings is that you should relieve all craving um, in order to reach happiness. So once you relieve, you know, the craving of like the desire of, you know, wanting this and wanting that, once you stop craving things, then you start to be content and present in the moment. And that's something I've been trying to work on as well. Yeah. Um, so maybe can you talk about maybe what is one thing that you craved? One thing that really maybe you were attached to that you had to unlearn well, or decrave or you know, you talks yourself from. Right. Right. Um, I craved, I craved a lot of our parents, um, mom and dad's validation. And I think, you know, I would try and do things to impress them all the time. But in reality, that's the wrong motivation. Yes. Um, you know, I want to, want to make mom and dad proud of me and want, I want to make them, you know, see that I've succeeded but not in a way that is sacrificial to my own mental health and my own spiritual health. And I've taken that, you know, craving of wanting mom and dad's validation and turned it into something my own, which is um, instead of doing things for them, 
I do things for myself, which in turn aligns with what mom and dad want in the end. So it's just shifting, you know, my paradigm from, you know, why I do things, shifting my paradigm of like, you know, my motivations towards things and not, you know, wanting that as much has helped me um, motivate myself more easily and allow me to do things uh, a little bit more effortlessly. Wow. Wise words, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Do I sound older when I say that? Yeah. I'm like, who are you? Are you not my little baby brother anymore? I learned all that from Rita. (laughs) (laughs) I also paid him to say that. (laughs) Oh, well, wow. I'm so proud of you and what you have really demonstrated just in that very short time of reflection was just the, the, the nuance of how does mental health get impacted oftentimes as children of refugees by our parents' mental health. And when we start to shift the way that we think about external, internal validation where do we get validation from? How do we actually help ourselves out in order to help other people out? It becomes more sustainable. Do you see what I just did? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, and I think you beautifully put it there together how it, it makes it seem like you're cutting the work out for yourself, right? It's less work when you just do it for yourself. And then the impact is great. Like you throw a pebble in a pond and it ripples. Yeah. But mm-hmm. think about how, you know, mom and dad are on the other side of the pond and they feel the wave of the energy that you have put into yourself to do the work on you so you can transform. And all they want a lot of times with our parents is that all they really want us to succeed. You know, oftentimes it's not in it's in a particular way, right? Like how they want us to succeed. And sometimes we also have to teach them. We also have to educate them on what success can look like because they have maybe a traditional way of looking at success because they struggled, right? They had nothing when they came here. And, And to now have, you know, assets to now have, you know, homes to live in, you know, cars to drive in, you know, that, that, that says a lot. And, and, you know, I'm just reflecting on how all of this has kind of been kind of I think beautifully demonstrated by you, Joseph, how you're able to kind of take all the different lessons learned from, um, you know, the first three children with our parents and trying to make life easier because it's already hard if you make it. <laughs> Learn from your guys' mistakes. Okay. You care to share some of those mistakes? Um, Go ahead. Too many. <laughs> just too many. Too many. <laughs> we won't have time for that. Okay, fine. All right. We'll, we'll skip through. We'll skip through. Okay. You got off this one, <laughs> but not the next one. <laughs> well, I think this is great, Joseph. I'm so proud of you and just the way that you've... Um, been able to, again, uh, reflect and be curious about even our own culture and the way that 
we navigate spaces and how we also talk about mental health is not traditional like talk therapy. Sometimes we resort to religion. Yeah. We resort to spiritual faith. What for you inspired you to, you know, besides like mom, dad being Buddhist, but just prompted you one day to be like, you know what? I'm gonna check this out. I'm gonna see what's it about. Like what, what kind of thought, like what triggered that or not even triggered, but like what inspired you to just go well, and check that out for yourself? Well, I was, I was in the middle of a very stressful time where I was trying to balance everything between school, um, the gym, exercising, playing. You know, I played three sports and um, trying to balance all that just like really stressed me out. And, you know, I, I thought about like, you know, why am I doing all this? And I wanted to um, figure out a reason like why I wanted to keep um, pursuing all that. And I enjoyed all of it. And uh, I just wanted a way to kind of like understand my own emotions and understand that the stress I was going through and Buddhism has, uh, has influenced me, you know, with mom and dad. And that was kind of where like I picked it up. I was like free resource right here and I'm going to use it. And so, um, I went to the temple with a mom and dad and I asked one of the monks for a booklet and, uh, you know, he happily gave me a booklet and I'm just, read that all in one night and um been reading a lot of books about buddhism um since then and um it's really opened a lot of my uh, a lot of eyes for me and it's really changed my perspective wow you hear that everybody <laughs> yeah that's amazing uh, how come i didn't have that booklet growing up <laughs> how come i wasn't wise enough like you you had a lot more going on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> you weren't, you weren't, you didn't experience a pandemic growing up. Oh, you're right. <laughs> there was other types of pandemics. It wasn't COVID-19, but definitely. Yeah, much harder, much harder. Yeah. We were moving from place to place. We were getting yelled at a lot. <laughs> um, but that's great, uh, Joseph. So, Buddhism has been a really great way to, um, you know, understand the world. Yeah. Understand your cravings and detachment and how actually you could be empowered by your own mental and spiritual health. Um, instead of letting it control you, you're able to control it or manage it. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Um, well, I wanted to ask pivoting a little bit and, um, you know, on top of COVID-19, there is, again, you just wanted to kind of circle back to uh, us going with the anti-Asian hate that's, you know, happening in the world. And, you know, especially being one out of, what, like 500 students and whatnot. Um, has things shifted, like where you're at in terms of the, the climate um, with anti-Asian comments or remarks? Or has it kind of, like been pretty stagnant first of all yeah it's really sad um, these asian hate crimes are arising and you know i go on social media and i see tons and tons of videos of like older asian people being assaulted for absolutely no reason and it's uh it's really sad it's really heartbreaking actually um but in terms of the conditions where i live now 
um, I haven't really noticed the shift and change or um, that might be because, you know, there's such a low Asian population here that um, there's just no no one to target, basically. Well, except you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, luckily, I haven't um, really faced any form of discrimination. And, uh, you know, also considering that I, you know, haven't been to school physically in a pretty long time. So not not being in the present in the presence of other people um, maybe has contributed to not being targeted. But the main concern is with uh, mom and dad or parents. They're a lot older and they might not be able to defend themselves if something were to happen. So I'm not not as worried um, for, you know, me and you, but I'm more um, careful and uh, worrisome about mom and dad going out in public on their own. And, you know, I have to think about, you know, are they going to be safe? Should I go with them? Things like that. Mm, yeah, that's so important to acknowledge. I'm glad that you're thinking about that, you know, being proactive and being mature about, you know, how this can impact our own family. Has there been conversations with you, mom, dad, about how, you know, to go about if they go in public or um, anything of that sort since like the Asian um, elder attacks? Yeah, I think um, Asian culture generally, um, generally speaking, like we are taught to kind of stay on the down low. Don't be the center of attention. And um, that same mindset applies here. Um, try and, you know, stay out of trouble, um, stay, stay grounded and, you know, work hard and, um, you know, prove it with your actions instead of your words. That's been the main advice that, uh, mom and dad have given me and, um, you know, just, uh, prove it with your actions and don't be the center of attention. That's what they've mainly told me. Wow. Cause being center of attention can do what? It can harm you in many ways. So what does it mean to be center of attention? Like, what do you, uh, or, and, and I wonder if you have thought about like how it connects back to the war or how dad or mom had reacted whenever they were center of attention, like what happened to them and now how they're being able to be a vessel for that message to you. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in Laos and Thailand, I'm not really sure, you know, how, our parents lived during that time, but I would assume that um, the more attention that um, was drawn to you, the more conflict that you would have to face or go through. So uh, I think they they brought that concept into America, and I think it's worked pretty well for them. Uh, my parents, or our parents, you know, they worked hard and started out with 50 cents coming to America. Uh, they learned English, they opened up a restaurant, and all all through hard work and that's something that um i never got to see and um you know i've heard stories and i think mom and dad have a lot to say about you know the work they put into our family to help us succeed staying out of the center of attention and um it's almost like a trauma response i wonder if you thought about that it's almost kind of like the same when you were thinking about assimilating, yeah? And it's almost like I have to give up a part of myself right, right. in order to meet this common good. But nobody else has to think like that, like we do. Yeah. Like, it's, uh, it's kind of like, how can I 
stay in this survival mode to, to a certain degree, right? Not that I want to, but it is an act of self-preservation at this point mm-hmm. until maybe you go to college, meet other people with diverse backgrounds, diverse experiences that you'll be able to be a little bit more yourself. I mean, that was my experience. So I'm speaking again from my own experience that I too had to assimilate growing up, you know, in um, Ashboro, Ramsor. And then I realized like, oh, I don't have to change who I am. <laughs> I can just be more of me. <laughs> right. And then now I'm in LA twerking up a storm over there and uh, <laughs> have to come home, live another life. So <laughs> what are your thoughts on that as I'm reflecting on my own experiences and how you're navigating this space? Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a survival skill. I think it's it just depends on where you are. Um, you know, there's certain places where it's more necessary than others. You know, it just depends on you know, what your situation is. You can't really expect to act the same way in every, you know, in every situation, just like how you don't, you don't talk to your boss the same way as you talk to your friend. It's all different. It all depends on the wow. situation. Wow. So you're talking about code switching now. <laughs> okay. Wise one. Preach. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> Where'd you learn all of this? Rita. <laughs> <laughs> You know I gotta ask. She's you staring know? right at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joseph, um, you know, we're gonna wrap up soon, but I wanted to ask you if you could do some final reflections and you know, talk about how, you know, seeing me, um, seeing David, uh, seeing Dario uh do our things. How has each of us impacted the way that you currently navigate your life, your your mental health, and and overall success? Yeah, yeah. So I think, um, you know, what you're doing with Healing Out Loud is um, great for the law community and for young individuals like me who are just, you know, seeking resources. And um, your podcast has opened a lot of um doors and a lot of perspective of what I thought before and like my, my, my perception of like the Lao community. And, you know, I realized there's so many interesting folks and, um, cool people that do, um, that have amazing careers, um, that, you know, share the same culture as I do. And that's something that I never would have, um, found out if I was, um, living in your time. Like I'm sure you didn't have this growing up. Um, having this is a great resource. Um, healing out loud is, um, what you're doing is great. And I would definitely, um, keep it up because it's great for the, for younger people like me. And you have, um, got David who's, um, you know, highly representing the Lao, our Lao people, um, in the U.S. Air Force. And he's doing a great job there, doing a good job supporting our family as well. And, uh, Dario, who's back home close to home, very, um, supportive of our family and always tries to make sure that, um, you know, the folks back home, me, mom and dad are, um, safe, fed and, you know, um, taken care of. So, yeah. Oh, I raised you well. (laughs) You almost dropped me a couple times. (laughs) I still remember that. You still remember that? (laughs) Dang, call me out. 
told you I dropped you once. Okay. That explains a lot. <laughs> yeah, you came out okay, all right? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> well, um, I wanted to ask if there's um, any um, recommendations um, on self-care for either Gen Z, millennials, or anyone that's listening to this podcast. Um, what would they they be like maybe let's name um two self-care activities or recommendations that you have for people well especially during this time well for me um like i said before meditation is a great way to examine your thoughts and to be aware of like where you are and how how you're feeling um so meditation is great um I, um, one of the biggest, most important things about meditation is not how long you do it for, but how consistently you do it for. So, um, for me, med- meditating on an every, on a daily basis has been very impactful. There's a good rule of thumb to go by, um, which is to do something or not just, um, anything, but more specifically meditation. Meditating every day for five minutes is a lot better than meditating for an hour a week in just one sitting so that's a good rule of thumb to go by and as for the second one um for me it's uh physical activity you know moving your body like go outside go go for a walk um for me um i run cross country so i'm a runner i run a lot i run anywhere from like 20 to 30 miles a week that's just you know gets my blood flowing Uh, i also play tennis it really helps me you know calm down the stress and take my mind off things so meditation you know and exercise two of the most um beneficial things in terms of my life yes all righty then well thank you so much for coming on to my show jojo thank you for having me it's been a pleasure (laughs) (laughs) it's the coolest thing i've ever done oh my gosh really (laughs) wow okay well thank me later (laughs) when you're successful okay 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 All right. Well, this wraps up another Healing Out Loud episode, COVID-19 series. Um, I hope that everybody uh, takes care of each other. Take care of your fam. Take care of your, you know, parents, elders. um, And uh, we'll see each other another time, Joseph. Thank you so much. And good night. All right. Thank you. Cop Chai and huge shout out to my baby, not so baby brother, Joseph Pet Me Sai for being the youngest, the youngest, I said, person from the Loud Diaspora to be featured on Healing Out Loud and for repping all of Gen Z folks out there. All right. I see you, Jojo. And as you all probably felt in this episode, I am so proud of my little brother and the amount of self-reflection he has done on himself to get him to this place of inner peace as he's navigating his last year in high school. And to recap, this episode was really a way into seeing the healing done intergenerationally between siblings who happen to be born in two different generations. Okay, so that's me as a millennial and Jojo as a Gen Z. But despite the huge age gap between us, we are still able to find connections and learn from each other. Perhaps a little easier than connecting with our parents' generation who are really just out here trying to survive. 
So kap jai to you, Joseph, for embodying what it means to ground yourself, thrive, and find sustainable practices as the youngest kid out of Lao siblings and who also grew up in the era of Trump and COVID-19 pandemic. Go you! If this episode was supportive for you, please leave a positive review and rating in whichever app you're listening in. This helps sustain the movement to heal our communities and bring in more conversations like this one. You can find episodes from season one on the Healing Out Loud website at healingoutloud.org and tune into some amazing stories that help create this virtual practice space and the journey to becoming Healing Out Loud. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Healing Out Loud, where we are sharing live updates. So make sure you like or follow to stay in the know. And if you're really enjoying this space and are feeling quite generous and have the means to contribute financially, you can either make a one-time donation at paypal.me forward slash healing out loud, or you can become a monthly sustainer at patreon.com forward slash healing out loud. Huge shout out to Los Angeles Roots members, Andrew Day, Vili Tong, for mixing and producing the beats for this podcast and becoming the official audio editor for this episode and the rest of season two. Thank you, Andrew. And shout out to Lao Supply for the beautiful logo design and Jojo Ramirez from UC San Diego, who is supporting Healing Out Loud with the Critical Refugee Studies Collective sponsorship for this season's episodes. Funded by the UC Office of the President's Multi-Campus Research Programs and Initiatives, the Critical Refugee Studies Collective envisions a world where all refugees are treated and embraced as fellow human beings with all fundamental rights and privileges. Learn more at criticalrefugeestudies.com. Lastly, thank you all for showing up in support for this greater healing justice movement for the Lao and greater Southeast Asian diaspora and for your commitment to you and your holistic well-being. Next Healing Out Loud episode will drop next month. So set your calendar, alarms, notifications, what have you for another heartwarming conversation. Until then, read a piece out and I'll twerk on you in the next episode.